haven't recorded this in a while. I forgot how I even start these things. But uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the banquet hall. I had to take a couple weeks off just to get my mind right to be able to start back on some of these interviews. Uh, but I'm very excited for our next guest, who you all see on the screen for our video listeners, our video watchers, video listeners. I guess you listen and watch the videos like let's just call them video watchers. Uh, but I'm being joined by Bria Hamlet. Bria, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. I'm um, just very excited to be here. This is the first time I've seen you outside of like social media in some time. So yeah, it's good to just see your face and yeah, just feel your energy through the Zoom screen. So uh, thank you for joining the banquet hall and I want to get right to it. So uh, the first question that I ask all of our guests is where are you from and how did that shape who you have become? Gosh. So I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm an East Coast girl. I was born and raised there. I stayed there until I finished undergrad when I was 22. And so um, how did that shape me? Ooh, how did it shape me? It's, I guess the better <laughs> question of like, it is in every fiber of my being, being from a city that is so rich in culture, rich in history, um, that is so Black. <laughs> it's, an inherent, it's a Black city. Uh, I was actually talking to a friend about this earlier you know, no matter where I go, when I say Baltimore, people they, people have some frame of reference. They have a, a thing in mind, um, but I don't think I appreciated that as much as I do now until I moved away. And I've lived away for almost eight years and it is, it's different, but it, it gave me a deep appreciation for my culture, my people, um, you know, what we're able to create and also what's unique about growing up in a city that has the history of this country built into it um, versus where I live now in San Diego, where it's, it's different. It's a little different over here. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I feel like whenever people not from San Diego mentioned being in San Diego and they're like, it's a little different. There's just so much that's tied into that so it's a little yeah. different like there's a little inflection of the voice that happens literally <laughs> anybody because I mean I'm from LA which isn't even that far from San Diego but when I go home people oh like how San Diego I heard it's beautiful I'm like yeah it's, it's beautiful it's, it's a little different than LA yes. but because <laughs> it is but you know San Diego is I think it goes back to the thing that if you grew up in a city that has culture and that has been having conversations that I feel like don't happen in San Diego, um, that's what makes it different. And I, I feel like in the last several years and relationships I've built and places where I spend time, I've been having more conversations about how a lack of rich culture and rich history has also led to feeling like I, people feel like they don't belong in certain spaces or like they have no, um, you know, say over, you know, certain cultures in this city um, and coming from a place like Baltimore where everybody has their hands in something and, and I I sometimes struggle and grasp at, at what it must be like to have been a black person that was raised here and I'm so grateful I was raised in Baltimore <laughs> like I it's got its stuff but that's that's home um, and it, def it definitely even shaped my career like even my career being in health and wellness um, it started in Baltimore a lot of people don't realize that like it the yoga part started in San Diego, but my personal yoga practice and my journey all began in Baltimore. Awesome. And I think you kind of walked us right into the next question. So like, how did this journey begin in Baltimore? So my, how much time we got? Um, so my <laughs> journey into wellness in Baltimore, um, when I was an undergrad, I was a 
um, peer health educator. So I knew about yoga. I knew about health and well-being. I was super invested. I knew I wanted to work in health and wellness. Um, but I wouldn't say that movement and, and well-being practices that I know them, the way that I know them here in San Diego were as prevalent. Um, you know, we have lots of sports. People, I, I grew up as an athlete, so I was very familiar with that. But as far as other movement practices, other mindfulness practices, I feel like we were just starting to scratch the surface of those when I was in college. Um, and I had taken a couple of yoga classes. I had one in high school where I like locked my knees and almost passed out. So that kind of Ooh. put a weird taste <laughs> in my mouth. I learned from that experience. Um, and then when I was a peer health educator, we did a health fair. We had a yoga teacher come, but we were all wearing like jeans and t-shirts. Like nobody could really get into the practice. So I was, I was kind of indifferent about it. Um, and then I went through some really tough stuff, um, my junior year of college and, yoga came back around as something that might support me through that. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll give, I'll give this thing a shot at this point. People say it's good for stress relief. And um, I went to one yoga class and I didn't like it. I always try to stress people. The first class I went to as an adult, I did not like. Um, and in hindsight, I know why I didn't like it. I I went to a gym that was for women who were 35 and older. And I like walk in there at 20 and they're like, what are you doing? why are you here so the vibes were off because I was I was in their space and I see that now you know being not not very aware but the next class I went to um you know I didn't give up after that first one the next class I went to was at a boxing gym randomly but the teacher was a trauma-informed teacher and so Mm. the way that she led the practice was when I now know it to be very embodied, I didn't have that language back then. I didn't know that word back then, but it was a very embodied practice of really returning your mind and your body back to each other. Um, and she really like held space for us to just feel um, instead of trying to do so much. And it cracked me right wide open. Like I, one, I sobbed, <laughs> like ugly crying on the mat. Uh, but I also felt this just like wave of release and relief from the practice and realized that then I'm like, okay, there's something to this that's bigger than stretching. It's bigger than um, being able to be flexible. Like there's some real stuff happening here and it piqued my interest. And so, yeah, that started in a tiny little sweaty boxing gym in Baltimore. Tiny sweaty boxing gym in Baltimore. (laughs) Uh, What a beautiful place for it to start. Uh, You mentioned something that I really wanted to make sure we gave space for, and that's this misconception, for lack of a better word, of yoga being about stretching and flexibility. I think that, uh, especially speaking from a cis male perspective, I think when we first grow up hearing about like yoga, it's like, oh, well, that's like, that's a girly fitness thing. Like, oh, you're just trying to be more flexible or you don't need to do yoga, like go lift some weights. Like if I could... If I could just go back to like younger Kyler and let him know that if he decides to try to master yoga poses versus trying to get that damn dumbbell up or uh, try to lift and do chest and whatnot, I, I my back wouldn't be hurting as much when I stand up at work <laughs> and whatnot. So I guess the question or kind of leading you into uh, your thoughts is what do you have to say when people think that yoga is just about stretching or just about flexibility? Oh, gosh, I... I think it depends on their perspective, but the number one thing I tell folks is that yoga is physical asana, so that what you see, the poses, is one of eight limbs of yoga. When when you get into yoga philosophy, movement is just one eighth 
of the overarching philosophy around um, the practice. Yoga is so much deeper and richer than stretching. And stretching is great. But if you come to my class thinking you're going to get a stretch, <laughs> you might be a little surprised. Because you will get a stretch, but it's not its not just holding static poses. And um, I just like, you know, sidebar a little bit into yoga history. When yoga first became, when the physical asana first became about thousands, you know, hundreds, hundreds of years ago, um, women were not allowed to practice cisgender women were not allowed to practice yoga it was it was for men it was training for warriors because of what we know now is that yoga helps with your pain tolerance it helps with your mental agility now they weren't necessarily doing it for that it was more for the philosophical sense but you can see why this is not something that was about stretching it was about um endurance it was about connecting mind and body to self and this like sort of higher sense of being it's very spiritual not religious but it's very spiritual um, and so to me, when, if you want to have a yoga practice that is primarily based in stretching, um, then you might want to try a stretching class. <laughs> a yoga class to me has so much, there's so much richness there if you're open to the possibility. Um, and I also will say that my teacher, one of my teachers is a man, um, a very strong, really incredibly brilliant um man and he often says even to this day after 20 something years of teaching yoga how many guys are still surprised when they see him as a teacher um but he works with athletes because that in the off season helping them stay conditioned helping them stay mobile you know the number one thing I, I guess I could say when people say like you know it's just stretching where should I try this is to your point it's preparing your body it's helping your pain tolerance it's helping you actually move better for longer um, and why not give yourself something that's going to make you feel better in all of the senses if you can. Yeah. I think that that places it nicely because we are holistic beings and mm -hmm. there's just so much to, I mean, as you know, there's so much to wellness, mental health, physical health. And, uh, I firmly believe that our bodies are our temples and yoga is one of many ways to just be able to, yeah, take care of our temple. Uh, another thing that I think really stands out just hearing you even talk about yoga is that this isn't just a hobby for you. Like this is something that's part of your lifestyle, it's part of your brand, and it's part of your like your education. Like you're very knowledgeable about the practice, the history of the practice. And as I was doing research for this interview, went onto your website, justbreefree.com, which we'll get into a little bit more later. <laughs> uh, but I saw all the letters behind your last name and numbers and whatnot. I was like, wait, I, I know MPH, I think. Then there's <laughs> CHES and RYT500. So I wanted to give you some space to talk about like some of your educational background, some of the certifications you have and how that kind of influences or in frames the work that you're doing. Thank you for that. I don't think I've ever been asked that on a podcast interview. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so MPH is Master uh, Master of Public Health and my master's degree in public health. Um, CHES is a Certified Health Education Specialist. Um, so that's a credential that is given to health educators um, and essentially means that we know how to teach people about wellness concepts. Um, you know, and it's not in short teaching people how to be healthy, but primarily the way that we teach is I'm giving you the information in a way that it's clear, that it matches your literacy level, and then you decide how you want to apply it. And I feel like that works so well with me being a yoga teacher. Um, so the RYT 500 is a registered yoga teacher 500, meaning I've taken 500 hours of study um, for my credentials. So I am a certified teacher 
Um, I have studied all of the things. You need at least 200 hours to be certified. Um, so the extra 300 was just me to develop deeper, a deeper understanding of the practice and to deepen my own personal practice. Uh, so yeah. So you know what you're doing is what I'm what I'm hearing from all that. I've been teaching for five five years, so it's it's been a while. Yeah, five years. Wow. Uh, so let's uh, shift coast real quick from the east coast to the west coast. We brought you to sunny San Diego. UC San Diego brought me to sunny San Diego. <laughs> I um so if, if I sound familiar to you and you've worked at UCSD, you probably have met or come across me. I was a health educator there for three years. Um, I loved that work. I, I still look back fondly on that work that connected me to so many wonderful people. Um, but yes, I moved for work. I didn't know how long I was going to be in San Diego. I didn't necessarily come here thinking I was going to become a yoga instructor, um, but I do believe in divine timing and divine alignment. And so I was looking for a yoga studio. Um, I had been at UCSD for a couple months and I, I'm not going to lie, I was struggling to find community and I think there's there's a lot of reasons and not from like a staff or student perspective but more just like finding community in San Diego outside of work um I said okay well I'll join a yoga studio and get to the studio and they um had one spot left in the yoga teacher training that was starting in 10 days and I was like why not (laughs) this truly was (laughs) like why not this is this is meant for me so yeah UCSD brought me here and yoga has kept me here Good old UCSD. That's like the thread that connects us all on this podcast almost. I think out of all of our guests, I think there's only one who isn't affiliated with the University of California. But the only reason I had that guest was because of someone who went to UCSD. So it's just like this this connecting thread. And UCSD is how our paths cross. My first recollection of when we met in person was I think because we had this black staff group chat and I think that we had mentioned like oh some of us are gonna meet up for lunch at Price Center then you came and we had that I feel like we had that San Diego's weird where the black people at moment at the table (laughs) it did wow I forgot all about that oh my gosh those are when I look back on like things that make me happy at least we were able to bond over how strange our experiences were because most of us, if not all of us, were transplants. Almost all of us were transplants here. So, yeah. Wow, what a time. What a time. Yeah, and time just keeps on going forward. But I think that that's where that community aspect is important. I think when you're working at an institution, when you're coming from somewhere far from home for a person like yourself, uh, it's important to just have people at least from my perspective, if anything, just to make you know that you're not tripping. Like when you be like, yeah, isn't it kind of weird when you walk in along this big ass campus and nobody says hi to you? And it's like, yeah, that that is kind of weird. Truly, truly just having that sounding board. um, uh, I remember, I don't even know if she still works there, but um, Dorian, one of the therapists there reached out to me as soon as I started and was like, let's get coffee. And I'm so grateful for that because in that moment I was the only black person in my department um I was one of I think three in my building and most of whom most of the others were or the other two most of the other (laughs) other two were um support staff not to minimize what they were doing but our paths didn't cross really for any real reason and so it it felt lonely if um if not for the people who reached out and I think we did a pretty good job of building community as best as we could in those those days. We tried. 
Hey, we we did our darndest is what I will say. And it, it's funny that you say like most of us are like some when there's like such a small percentage, because I think that that's just how impactful community and representation is to where if you're talking about four or five black people, like, yeah, most of these five, like this is important, like whether yeah. it's three to five, four to five, whatever it might be. But I'm happy for those community spaces and thinking about identity and what it means to be in community uh something that's very evident from at least my perspective not only your branding your website knowing you as a person is the love for the people that you serve and how it important it is for you to serve marginalized communities i think you mentioned it a couple of times on your website i'm not sure if the brown aesthetic is specific to uh marginalized communities but i know just knowing you as a person i know that you love serving your folks so uh what does it mean for you to serve marginalized communities and how do your identities show up in some of the work that you do it means everything and yes the brown aesthetic is very intentional i want i want people to feel greeted and and warm when they encounter um my content because i i hope that is what they get when they're in class with me um but I, I love black people. I love brown people. I grew up around my people. And so to me, being able to cater back to and pour back into black and brown folks is like top tier. I tell people all the time, at the very least, I will always be a black woman. I will, will always be black. I'll always be black. <laughs> you know, and then, um, you know, catering to the LGBT community, I'm a queer person as well. And so I, um, it's important to me to give wellness uh, directly to us, both black and brown folks folks and and the both the you know the and um because we traditionally have not had access to it we've been convinced that wellness for us is this luxury yoga is a luxury that if you have time and space and resources to access then you get to do it and when we're trying to survive how the hell are we supposed to have time to move our bodies or meditate it doesn't feel like it's a priority it it can't be a priority um, and it very much is for us, you know, yoga's roots um, are, are in Africa and India, and they, so they started with brown people. This is a practice that we have so much stake in, um, and yet we've been, it's been packaged and sold back to us in a way that doesn't look like us at all, that has removed a lot of the culture, the richness of it. Um, and so to me, it's anytime I can create space where people can explore the practice, um, I'm happy the number of students I've had who've been like, I've, I've never tried yoga until now. I've never been a black yoga teacher until you. I, you know, never even thought that I could go into a studio because I'm, I'm going to have XYZ experience. And I think I channeled my experience because that did happen to me here in San Diego, going to trying to find studios to go to. Um, I channeled that experience into the way that I, I create space and hold space now. And I'm so lucky. I talk all the time. Like it, it's pretty freaking cool to create a space and look out and see a room of black and brown folks doing yoga. Like, how lucky am I? So, yeah. Hey, it's the first day of Black History Month when we're recording this episode, hey. too. I, the the pro-blackness <laughs> is in the air and I'm rocking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned something very important with regards to just when we see yoga, either in the media or how it's talked about, there's a certain face that goes along with all the images that we're looking at when you look at all oh, wellness, like who is being pictured on there? Is it folks that look like us or, or is it like white facing folks? Is it who is it that's depicted when you think of yoga? And so I think it's just so important to highlight 
stories or just even the act of doing yoga and that's one thing i didn't necessarily plan on asking this when i started talking but it just came to mind um but one of the things that i think i really appreciate about following your social media account is just like sometimes i click through your story and you're just doing some yoga like having a mindful moment and it's like damn like i can't do that pose but <laughs> this is a moment to remind me that i can do something related to yoga related to wellness related to my body so uh yeah just i i appreciate the stories if i know you got a lot of people that appreciate the stories but i appreciate just seeing you take that mindful moment on your social media account it kind of gives me permission to uh like just oh i can breathe real quick and i really value that yes thank you that's such high praise that's the you know as an educator i was i tell people all the time i'm, I'm a lifelong educator in the health and wellness space and um when you give people information, you give them permission. I've, I've said that to explore, to to make a change. Um, and sometimes it just feels like that's all we need. And if you watching me be like, I'm gonna sit on this mat for a couple minutes and just breathe or talk about, you know, what's going on in my mind and how I, I ground, then I, I'm I'm a better human because of it. so yeah. Awesome. Uh, so the next thing that I want to talk about is kind of just the process of getting into yoga. I think that for a lot of people who have this preconceived notion that it's all about like flexibility, you need to be super flexible to get into yoga. I think that there's some people who just dismiss the, pre the premise of even being able to do yoga. Uh, so what advice do you have for someone who hasn't done yoga before and is trying to get started as part of their wellness or as part of their fitness routines? So I think a couple things. I think there's like three main things that I would suggest if you're curious about yoga, but you wanna, you're not sure where to start. One is do take the time to find a teacher who you think you'd resonate with, just on an energetic level. Um, I do know a lot of folks saying, you know, just jump in. Ah, my issue with just jumping in is that there's a lot of there's a lot of yoga. People don't understand how many different limbs of yoga there are like I spoke to um and that the asana the physical poses are just one part of that but also the styles of yoga so I'm primarily a vinyasa yoga teacher that means to flow it means breath to movement I also teach hatha which is more um pranayama or breath work focused and we do some vinyasa movement but we're primarily like holding poses so depending on what class you show up to, you can have a completely different experience. Um, so taking the time to just do a little bit of research about who you're taking class with and what kind of class it is will go a long way with you. Um, or even asking the studio, like, hey, I'm new. What do you suggest? will go a long way in making this experience more pleasant. Um, the other thing, another thing I would say, the second thing is meet the practice with curiosity instead of judgment. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that I hear from these students is, I'm not flexible. I, immediately it's like the negative self-talk I'm not flexible I can't do this I'm gonna look terrible I'm gonna look silly and I would I wish I want for more people to just know that it is you and your mat and anybody who's looking at you trying to figure out what you're doing is completely out of their own practice um, and most of the time they are not looking at you I have stood in front of many, many, many rooms of people who are practicing yoga and they are just trying to figure it out in their own bodies. They are not paying attention to what is happening with you. Um, and if you're ever in a space where you feel like that is the case where the teacher is more fixated on what you are doing in your body and critiquing it than supporting you in the practice, doesn't sound like a very healthy environment. So 
creating yourself with curiosity instead of judgment, I think is a huge part of it. And then I also would say, um, taper your expectations as far as both good and bad, right? Like it might not blow your mind the first time you do it because so much of yoga is mental and getting your mind to a place where you can actually embrace poses that you maybe never tried or standing in a way like you're like, I even something like, like a warrior pose, you're holding your arms up. It, it can feel strange if you haven't done it in a long time. And it can feel even stranger when you're like, people are watching me and I don't know how to embody my inner warrior or whatever. You know, you start to psych yourself out. It's like, it might feel weird and that's okay. Anything we try for the first time is weird or different, but that doesn't mean it's bad. And also, if you have an amazing first experience, also not, there are going to be some days on your mat where you're like, mm, that didn't stick because it's about a journey and not like the destination. So yeah, research, curiosity, and um, instead of saying less expectations, I would say detachment to the outcome. Just mm. be, be present and enjoy. Detachment to the outcome is a bar. I like that just because I look back as you were speaking through that and like what a good supportive yoga instructor is doing, I thought back to my first time ever doing yoga, at least that I can remember intentionally doing yoga versus like PE class in second grade where they tell you to sit in like a lotus position or something. <laughs> but when uh, my friend, rest in peace to Kai Penn, who was a yoga instructor, who is a yoga instructor, uh, she was leading a class for the Black Resource Center at UCSD. And she had hit me up beforehand. It was like, oh, like, can we do like, I want to do yoga beforehand just so I get my mind right before I lead this class. And so we went into rec gym. It was just us in the gym and we were like just doing yoga. And it, those things you're talking about, like being supportive, focused on what you're doing and doing it intentionally because I think coming into it I was like okay I need to stretch perfectly I need my arms have to be exactly like this but mm -hmm. really being in tune with your body and the movements that your body's making how you're breathing I just feel like I learned so much from that initial time doing yoga about being in the moment being present being intentional so I love just hearing you talk about just your process as or your thought process as an instructor because I think that I'm a stubborn, we, before the we start recording, we talked about being Tauruses and whatnot. I'm stubborn. <laughs> yeah, uh, so when it, <laughs> when it comes to people teaching me how to do something, if I don't like how they approach it, I'm like, nah, bro, like you, you're not the one. So I think it's very important. Those like pillars of advice that you gave for someone looking to start their yoga journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I have my moments too. I'll say this as someone who's been practicing for almost 10 years and been teaching for five I still have my moments of resistance and friction within self. And it it's a practice. That's why they call it a practice, not, you know, like you can't win at yoga. <laughs> you know, um, even the language I use has changed dramatically from my first training to second training because one, I want my practice to be accessible. Two, I don't ever want someone to feel less than because they are using these beautiful supports that we have or because they're entering the pose in a different way than traditionally expected. Um, you know, it's what a beautiful thing we get to do, we get to do forever. Like if you, if as long as you have breath in your body and some ability in your mind, you can do yoga. So how cool is that? That's so cool. Uh, sometimes my grandmother will call me and she'll talk about like, oh yeah, I was doing yoga this morning and I just like feel good. And I'm like, yeah, I love I just love hearing people talk about them taking care of their spiritual and physical health. Like it's just, it's a beautiful thing to hear. Uh, but I want to transition a little bit to take our listeners into your yoga studio and talk about your instructor style. You talked a little bit about your thought process, but 
I and I know the listeners are curious about what's the vibe in the yoga class like if we're sitting in front of you on our yoga mats what vibe are we expecting in your classroom I love this question <laughs> um so I think the vibe that I go for and you can you can kind of see my home if you're watching the video um the vibe that you feel in my home or the vibe that you see on social media or my website I try to carry that with me everywhere <laughs> I go uh, no matter where I'm teaching because I've taught in a lot of I taught in rectum I've taught <laughs> Some, some sketchy places and I've also taught in some beautiful <laughs> studios <laughs> and so the vibe that I try to carry with me is um I, it sounds cliche but like yoga for everybody and when I say everybody I mean every physical like body so I want the space to feel comfortable whatever um props you would like to use to explore your practice uh, usually are going to be there um the kind of music I like to practice to I am a teacher who teaches to music and there's um, there are opinions in the yoga world about whether or not that is a thing that you should be doing. I like it because I think, especially for black and brown folks, music is like a gateway to our souls. It helps us let go. It helps us be embodied. Um, and so I play music that I think will resonate typically with some sort of like melodic beats. I used to teach a class called Soul Flow, Soul Flow Sunday um, every week uh, pre-pandemic. That was a time, wonderful time. Um, and it was all <laughs> RB and hip hop and lo-fi and just like vibey, very vibey. Um, and so I still carry a lot of that into the classes that I teach now locally. Um, and I would say that I spend a significant amount of time at the beginning of class in um, what we would call like a down-regulating state. So you get a chance to ground into the space. To me personally, we carry so much energy in. And when you have 25 people cycling into a room and they're all bringing their different energy, I can, as a teacher, look out and see like, oh, this person's stressed and this person's probably depressed because of the way they're showing up in their body. How do I get all of this to here? Um, and not physically all here, but just like energetically all mm -hmm. even keel. Um, because you're gonna feel the energy. It's kind of like, have you ever been to the movies and the person next to you like can't sit still? And they're like wrestling and you're trying to watch the movie, but they're just, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't. So like thinking about that, if I can't, and I mean, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit different, but my goal is to get folks present, grounded, good. So we do some breath work, we work through some tissue and I really offer, everything I give is an offering. Um, it's not a requirement. Uh, it, it It is a little bit of a different approach than I think is what's traditionally taught to teachers which I'm not a huge alignment teacher anymore, um, meaning like your ankle needs to be beneath your knee and your mm. hip needs to be here. Sure, to make the pose look like what the pose traditionally looks like, you're looking for that shape, but everybody's joints are shaped differently. Everybody has different mobility. And the last thing I want is for someone to hurt themselves trying to look like the person next to them. So oftentimes the language I offer is you might explore this or if you're looking for a different sensation, you might try this. Um, if you're looking to find more depth here, you know, explore this. So um, there's a lot of offering. There's a lot of opportunity for self-exploration. And what I found is when I stop and I look at the room and everybody's doing something different, that makes me feel good because that means mm. everybody is doing what feels good to them, not what I just told them to do. Um, it shouldn't be painful. A challenge, sure, but painful, no. So you can expect to feel <laughs> greeted by a black woman, a queer black woman who loves her culture and her community. You're gonna feel it in the music and the aesthetic and also a very accessible, hopefully interesting practice. Um, mm. 
and you probably sweat a little bit because I do like to move. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Hey, I think a little bit of sweat is all you can ask for. Um, but I really appreciate what you just said with regards to accessibility and the idea of making sure that you're instructing for everybody, because I think especially like as a bigger person, I know that there's times where you see people doing yoga. And once again, going back to the aesthetic that's pushed out in the media, it's these thin white women essentially is what you see Mm -hmm. with any type of yoga experience. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if I can make my body bend that way. And if this is the aesthetic that it's being pushed out, I might be feeling discouraged from doing it. But knowing that there are just ways to go at your own pace, being invited to do different parts of different poses. And I think that's really the most, well, I won't say the most important part of yoga, but what I love about yoga instructors is just how you're able to walk people through that experience or guide them through that experience and make sure that they understand what they're doing and why it's important because it all comes back to intentionality. Like, yeah, we could talk for hours about just breathing techniques and different intentions, but I'll save that for folks can uh, register for your class and learn a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The next thing I want to bring up, because as I was once again, stalking you on your website, which I do for all of our guests to the podcast, uh, I was looking at some of your blog posts from 2019, and I found them to be pretty interesting. Um, the one that I wanted to bring up is what's in your yoga bag. I'm curious if what's in your yoga bag today is the same thing as it was in 2019. So uh, there are five items that are on this list, uh, aromatherapy spray, LED candles, matte spray, great music, and pleasantly scented hand sanitizer. Has your yoga okay. teacher bag evolved since May 12, 2019? Oh, what a great question. Do I even carry a teacher bag anymore is the question. Oh, wow. Does the bag exist? (laughs) I wasn't expecting that So, yes, the bag does exist. Um, So instead of aromatherapy spray, I have um, have a Palo Santo roll-on that I put on before I go into class um, because I found that much like with anything, when you have that familiar scent, especially for my students who come to class regularly, it helps you associate you associate the scent with the feeling, right? So like if they feel calm, I hope, in my presence, and then they smell that scent, before I even start talking, it already starts to help down regulate. So I'm more intentional about the aromatherapy. I don't use spray anymore because um people are sensitive to smells and things. So like spraying something into the room, you want to get consent before you do that. That's something I learned. Um versus a roll-on on myself. So that's still, well, that's the new thing. I would say what else is in my bag? My um, sequencing journal. So Mm. I recently, I would say within the last year, started sequencing out um, classes ahead of time on paper. So often in our minds, we have, you know, this is the pose I want to work toward, but I've been learning more about how to prepare the nervous system for yoga because Mm. often the mental resistance is is half of the battle toward the physical resistance when people are like oh I can't do that like for me I guess a good example is when your jaw feels tight and you're clenching your jaw because you're stressed it takes your brain feeling a less stress to even understand oh my jaw hurts because I'm holding on because you don't even feel it because you're just like <laughs> everything's tight so um when I sequence now I sequence like a level of intention of if the goal is to help my students relax their shoulders I got to start with their jaw and I got to start with some, you know, some other stuff. And so um, taking the time to write out sequences has been really good for me. It's also made me um, a little more creative with my flows. So that, so Palo Santo roll on my sequencing journal, 
I also have um, a galaxy light from what mm. I teach in the night, which I just love. The, if, you, if you've never heard of them, they're like, um, looks like the night sky. Sometimes they look like an aurora borealis or like, um, it's just, again, a vibe. I love a good vibe. I love a moon setting experience. So that's in there. Um, I still have hand sanitizer because germs, germs, yeah. germs and everywhere. Um, and I would say, I'm like thinking of like, what else is in there? Um, I also have, so I don't do spray, but I will sometimes burn incense before folks mm-hmm. come in. Um, in part because when you're sharing a studio with many classes back to back to back, um, and we say this, there's um, one of the limbs of yoga is um, a term called salja, it's, it's cleanliness. And so it's hard to do deep breath work if the room ain't fresh. And so sometimes it ain't fresh after the class beforehand. So I come in, I just do a little wave of the incense. I put my pillows on and I'm like, this is this is what we got for the day. So most of the time it's everything in there now is catering more to my students and less toward me. Um, and that's an interesting, now that I'm even thinking about this, I'm like, wow, that's growth. I love that. <laughs> I love that for, for y'all and for me too. So yeah. Hey, that's awesome. I love uh, seeing people realize their own growth. Uh, do you have a specific incense that you typically rock with? I, I lit in, I'm always lighting incense. I got incense going right now for this podcast. Yeah, I, um, oh my gosh, I have to look it up on Instagram. The, is it Sacred Soul? I'm going to look real quick because I want to shout yeah, them go out. For it. They're based in LA. Um, but I got them at a festival I went to, a wellness festival I went to. And, um, but as far as scents go, I love lavender. I'm always gonna have lavender incense. I love um, white sage, if you can find it. Um, is it sacred? Sacred smoke incense. Um, just check them out in general. I, literally everything they've ever created is a vibe and it smells good. So you can't go wrong with any of them. Um, but yeah, I love white sage. I love Palo Santo. I love lavender to me when i think of traditional yoga studio scent what you're usually smelling is a lavender incense and so it's very um it can be a little fragrant it can be a little bit much if you're not used to smelling it but once you get used to it it's just again this is the same reason why we put lavender in our bath our bubble bath and like all that other stuff it's just good for the body and the mind so top tier scent for me sacred smoke incense i'm I mean, I love a good black aesthetic and the little black sacred boxes are fire. So I know what I'm going to be doing after this podcast. Order me some some incense. And it's from my hometown. I always love supporting my LA businesses. Uh, Rounding out to kind of the tail end of the podcast, have a few quicker hitter questions. Uh, Just some things, whatever is first top of mind, just let it all out. Uh, The first one, if when it comes to self-care, I know that for a lot of people, yoga is a form of self-care. And I'm curious for you, I'm assuming yoga is part of your self-care routine, but what other uh, parts of your self-care routine come out besides yoga? Oh my gosh. So Team Taurus, I love self-care of all the things. Um, First thing that comes to mind is cupping. I really love cupping. If you've never tried, have you tried cupping before? I have not. So here, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Cupping is so, it seems a lot scarier than what it actually is. If you're not familiar with cupping, um, there are these glass or plastic orbs that are placed on the skin, usually on your back. Um, You can do it on any large like muscle group. 
and they either use vacuum suction or um, I could do fire company. So they use the basically the lack of oxygen in the fire from the fire and they place it on your body and they separate the tissues just enough to create um, like blood rushing into stagnant tissue. So you get those giant circles. So if you ever watch like swimmers, um, particularly at like the Olympics and stuff, you see all those circles on their backs. That looks wild, feels amazing, um, especially if you have parts of your body where you have injuries. I typically get it on my shoulder because I had a really gnarly injury 10 years ago. Um, so that's like top tier self-care when I can do it. Um, I would also say that I really love walks, like just going for a walk when I can. The rain that we've had the last couple of weeks has really messed with my walking. <laughs> I love rain. And I also was like, it's hard to walk peacefully in the rain. Yeah, like, I feel I'm you. Cold, but, but I do love, I do love the rain aesthetic um, when I'm inside and dry. But taking a walk is just so good. Just like moving your body, not looking at your screen. Um, sometimes I put my AirPods in and just like listen to people. Like they're in, so people don't talk to me, but I'm listening to like people and birds. And um, so that for me is a huge part of my self-care practice. And I also journal really avidly. Um, a lot of people don't know, but I'd love to write. It's a good way for me to manage um, anxious thoughts that might be coming up or after I meditate, just needing a place to like dump the feelings. Um, I would say are my like more, you know, basic everyday self-care stuff, but I love all the things, skincare, massage chiropractor and I box a lot of people also don't know that when they see me on the gram and they're like dang girl you look strong <laughs> yoga will help you but I, I box and I lift weights so that's my secret <laughs> I forgot that you box I should have been asking some boxing related questions <laughs> <laughs> next time next time have you back next time just be free bro- boxing know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, who are some of your inspirations? These could either be people within the realm of yoga and wellness or just in general. Like, who are some people that inspire you? Uh, either people that you know, people you don't know, people you've never met, anything. Oh my gosh. Um, first person that comes to mind that I have not met in person, but have talked to quite a bit online is Jessamyn Stanley. Jessamyn Stanley is um, a, an incredible yoga instructor. She was the first black queer yoga instructor that I ever saw. And this one also lives in a bigger body. And so watching her move um, and be so um, thoughtful with how she talks about the practice and making it so accessible, like leading with accessibility in the way that she does. um, I just was kind of in awe because I'd never seen someone both have such a strong and credible practice on their own, but intentionally make it more accessible because a lot of us tend to want to do the, the hardest thing or like the most dramatic thing. It's like, no, just because you can, doesn't. that's not how you should be teaching it to the everyday person. So I, I admire the hell out of her for that. She's also just a dope ass human being and very funny. Um, I would also say who I admire in general um, right now is my mom. And I know that's like real cliche, but my mom is... A student of mine, um, I work one-on-one with my mom quite a bit, but my mom has been able to avoid um, knee replacement surgery because of mm. her yoga practice. And I have just been in awe of watching her uh, surrender to the practice and that like kind of, instead of being resistant and critical, getting curious, but also watching how she's literally been able to heal herself to me is just like, like so many things are possible. So um, yeah. And funny enough, Jessamyn and my mom have met each other, but I have not met Oh, Jessamyn. wow. Yeah, they're not jealous. 
Wow, it's funny how the universe works sometimes. <laughs> uh, next up, how can people support you, whether it's in a monetary way, in a non-monetary way? What are some ways that our listeners can support you after learning more about your story? Absolutely. Um, you know, the number one thing I would say is that if anything you're getting resonates with you, connect with me as you can connect with me um, through Instagram, through my website. Um, I do take um, private class, I teach private classes, I teach workshops. So if you want to have me in to talk to your group, I'm open and definitely down to see what works best for you all. Um, and then if, again, if you see anything sharing with your peers, just growing that network is always nice um, to me. The richness of connection is just as valuable as money. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then also connection brings more money. So um, yeah. yeah, definitely just stay connected, stay tuned um, into what I'm up to. And um, if you're, if you have questions, I'm generally pretty, you know, receptive to like answering, talking to people, you know, through DMs and stuff. So definitely don't be, don't be a stranger. Do not be a stranger. And of course, you can learn more about Brie at justbriefree.com. That's J-U-S-T-B-R-I-F-R-E-E.com. Uh, last thing before I give you just a mic for anything that you want to mention, any shameless plugs, just I like to end all these episodes with just general words of advice. It could be related to yoga. It could be related to wellness. It can be related to just taking a pause. But uh, what's one thing that you would want our listeners to walk away from this podcast episode just as a piece of advice? I would say uh, flow over force in all all of the things in life flow of our force if you feel like it's not flowing it's probably because you're forcing it so but it's all. I'll take that in for myself I had to <laughs> had to sit for a second with that one I'm like maybe maybe those are the exact words I need to hear today um <laughs> okay. but Brie you've been amazing as a guest I really have appreciated our conversation is there anything on your mind on your heart that you want to let go on the airwaves or any shameless plugs that you have anything else going on in your life that you want folks to know about I would say the only other thing I can think of is if you are curious about meditation, I am extending my offerings um, from just yoga to also more meditation classes. I am an insight timer. So if you go find me, I'm at Bria Hamlet or just Bria Free. You can search either of those and I'll pop up. Um, but I'm really enjoying getting to share, um, you know, little gems that float around in my head in a, <laughs> a real, real way. So definitely check me out there if you um, are using that app. But otherwise, no, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. And um, it's just so lovely to share and, and to take up space and create our own space. So thank you for doing this. Yes, shout out to taking up space. I feel like that's the best thing we could do with all of our talents is take up space. We've, I feel like we've given space enough in our lifetimes. This is the, this is the age of taking <laughs> up space. Uh, but Bree, thank you once again. Uh, the first Black History Month episode of the Banquet Hall. Uh, you were the first star of the Banquet Hall for Black History Month. Want to thank you for your time, for your intentions, for your story. And until next time we have you on the podcast to talk about boxing, want to thank you once again. And listeners, hope you'll have a good rest of your day wherever you're tuning in. Thank you.